Hi, my name is Annalise. The Old Testament reading is found in Genesis 50, 15 through 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God, of our father, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is found in James 1, 13 through 15. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. Once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. The word of the Lord. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us, gracious Heavenly Father. Thank you for the way that you speak and call to us. And today, as we listen to your word, we pray that you would speak to us in our hearts, in the meditations of our own hearts, in the reflections. Holy Spirit, whisper your word to us. Instruct us, bring illumination, challenge us, change us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I thought I'd start with a confession this morning about prayer, about my own prayer life. I pray for my sports teams when they're playing. I I know that God doesn't take sides, but I might as well admit it. It's reflexive. I can't really control it. When I'm watching my team play, I just pray, Lord, help them. I like, for example, I, I'm watch, I've got my eye on the NBA playoff seating for the Western Conference right now. I don't know if you care about it at all. I'm a big Denver Nuggets fan. I don't want to face the Lakers in the first round, you know. So I'm praying that they'll lose tonight and we could not face the Lakers. But most often I pray when I watch my son's soccer team playing. I think that one has a special you know, grace for that. Like God has allowed that. And I'll pray, Lord, let them win today. Let him score today, you know. And if there's a kid who's picking on him, I'll be like, let him show him up today, you know. (laughs) I think God honors those prayers, right? 
But all of this is kind of what we teed up in the very first week of this series. This is our problem with prayer. And we're finally getting to it this many weeks into the series. Our problem with prayer is we don't know how we should talk to God about difficulties in our life. We don't know how we are supposed to approach God about the hard stuff. Like, does God really care or does he not care? Should I ask? Should I not ask? Should I ask with boldness or should I ask with sort of tentativeness? How do we approach God about hardship? And if we were to boil down our biggest objections, obstacles, and problems with prayer, it all has to do with this question. How does God want us to think about the hardships that we face? Is God a sadist who's sort of like, the more suffering, the better? Is God sort of the kind of God that says, look, as much pain as you can endure, that's the, then you are a holy person? Is suffering in itself a virtue? Is it holier to go through hardship? Or, on the other extreme, is God sort of a Santa Claus that just loves us, and when we sing that he is for you, and when we sing that he loves you, are we supposed to take that to mean that no trouble will ever befall you? Should we interpret from that that nothing bad will ever happen to you? The way we wrestle with that question affects the way we pray this line in the Lord's Prayer. But I would like to suggest to us this morning that here we are in this series on praying with Jesus. This is a prayer that we will see in the life of Jesus itself. And we've seen different ones of these phrases show up, sometimes in obvious ways, sometimes not. But this one shows up in a very obvious moment in Jesus' life. And so here we are in the series, Praying with Jesus, and today we're going to talk about those lines that say, don't lead us, but deliver us. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, I want to read it again. It says this, pray like this, Jesus is talking. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. And give us the bread we need for today. And forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. This first part of the phrase, don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us. I want to offer three reflections from this sentence this morning. And the first is this. We can pray to escape times of trial. You can pray to escape times of trial. Now, this word temptation is an interesting one because different ones of you have asked. Now, hang on a minute. Why would we pray God don't lead us into temptation? Doesn't the Bible say that God never tempts us? It's true. And we're going to get into that in, a, in just a moment in point number two. But this word for temptation, the Greek word for it, peresmos, can be translated temptation or it can be translated testing. I wish I could tell you that there's two different Greek words. I wish I could tell you that this is how we know it's temptation and this is how we know it's testing. But actually, it's the same word. The same word is used. In fact, it's very possible from context to sort of try to discern which one the scriptures are referring to. And in this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, several commentators suggest maybe Jesus is saying, pray that you will be saved from the great tribulation. 
And what he was referring to for his disciples would have been the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and that great persecution that Jews faced in that first century. And Jesus was saying, look, ask to be saved from that. You don't have to go through this great tribulation. Ask to be rescued from that. It's possible that there's also for us kind of eschatological language, meaning end of the ages sort of language, where Jesus is saying, ask to be spared the great tribulation. We can pray to escape times of trial. It means right off the bat, in this prayer, we can recognize a God who does not value suffering in and of itself. A God who does not call suffering inherently good. A God who doesn't look at your medical diagnosis or the diminishing bank account or the strained relationships and say, it's good, isn't it? Now maybe you've grown up in churches where you've thought that to acknowledge the sovereignty of God is to whitewash bad things. Is to sort of put a nice face on suffering and when you're facing a terrible illness, a diagnosis, that you're supposed to somehow rejoice because it's good. Jesus himself tells us to pray so that we can escape times of trial. You can pray for this. You can ask to be spared of this. It's interesting that the Lord's Prayer began with this address to God, our Father. Our Father, not the cruel taskmaster, the distant God who has a different conception of good than I do. Sometimes we've done so much work to emphasize the sovereignty of God that we've made God so distant from us that even his notion of good is nothing like our notion of good. And so you go through, through something difficult and you're like, well, I don't think it's good, but maybe God does. And right away in this prayer, we're reminded if we're praying to a good father, then you can ask him with confidence. You can ask him with confidence. Friends, I want to say it unequivocally. If you're going through sickness, pray for healing. Pray for healing. You don't have to be like, I don't know, should I? Pray for healing. Like, let's, can we just say that straight up? Ask to be spared that. If you're going through a difficult time, you don't have to say, well, I don't know, should I ask God to bring me out of this time. You can ask for that. Pray to be saved from the time of testing and trial. You can pray for that. You don't, have to, you don't have to live under some strange definition of the sovereignty of God that makes God cold and aloof and distant and unmoved by your pain. When you are going through pain, you can ask God for help. You can ask God for help. One of the great destructive things that has happened in, in, in our understanding of our relationship with God is to somehow believe that God is not actually an advocate for us in a time of trial. But the scriptures say he is an advocate. He is an advocate. Why wouldn't you talk to your advocate when you're going through a trial? Why wouldn't you talk to the good father when you're going through this? I know why we don't want to. It's not always because we don't believe he cares. It's because we know that he doesn't always answer the way that we want him to. So maybe one hurdle is, I don't want to ask because I don't want to trouble him. 
But maybe a deeper reason is I don't want to ask to be saved from the time of trial because what if he doesn't? And that's how the rest of the prayer goes. The part of the rest of the phrase, but rescue us from the evil one. I like this particular translation of it because there is the definite article, the evil, and technically it would be translated, deliver us from the evil. And there isn't necessarily the word one, but but there is a sense in which evil is being personified here. And we know throughout the scriptures that there is an adversary of God and an adversary of the people of God. And that's why we can actually translate this phrase legitimately and say, deliver us from the evil one. Because, friends, there is an enemy. We, we don't like to talk about it. Sarah was praying about the global south. If you talk to the church in the global south, they are not shy about telling you that there's an enemy. Spiritual warfare. Uh, demonic forces that oppose the will of God. In the west, we're too smart for that, right? We're too sophisticated for that. Oh, it's just, you know, bad luck. Maybe. Or maybe there's an enemy at work. In Jesus' day, he w- they would not have thought twice about demonic forces opposing the will of God. That's why the Gospels show us over and over again confrontations with Jesus and the demonic. When the kingdom arrives, it creates a disturbance in the force. <laughs> and so from Herod himself, unnerved at the birth of Jesus, to the Gadarean demoniac screaming, get away from us. When Jesus starts bringing in his kingdom, Satan and all of his forces have been put on notice that there is an expiration date to their time in the world. And Jesus is saying, pray to be delivered from the evil one because there is an evil one. There is an evil one. We're not here living our lives just sort of playing church, going through the motions, kind of singing some nice things, listening to a sweet inspirational message. We're in the middle of a cosmic conflict where every square inch, as C.S. Lewis said, every square inch is being claimed and counterclaimed by God and the adversary. Claimed and counterclaimed. And as we pray this prayer, it's just, this is starting to get to one of the darkest points, maybe the darkest moment of the prayer. Save us from the great tribulation and deliver us from the evil one. If you're going to pray rightly and if you're going to pray honestly, you've got to be able to name evil. If you're going to pray honestly, you've got to be able to name evil. You've got to be able to name That there are things in the world at work, forces that are at work, forces that human beings collude with to go against God and his kingdom. Just like we, and Sarah prayed this, just like we can collaborate with God in his kingdom arriving, so we can collude with darkness in opposing the kingdom's arrival. That's also an option on the table. If it's possible that humans, Christians, can collaborate with God in his kingdom arriving, then we can also collude with the enemy. And Jesus is saying, we need to get this straight. you got to be able to name evil and then pray to be rescued from it. Because not only are you not supposed to collude with it, but you're going to need some help. I told you that this word temptation and testing are the same Greek word. 
Not only are they the same Greek word, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that they happen in the same circumstances. You can't say, well, this one was God testing, but this one was the devil tempting. I would like to suggest to you that oftentimes, if you're asking which one is it, the answer is yes. It's both. James 1, verses 2 through 4, my brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. And after all, the testing of your faith produces endurance. The reason I underlined those phrases, sorry, go back to that slide. The reason those are underlined is, any guesses? Same Greek word. Same Greek root, te- Greek root, test and testing, produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. And you're like, okay, James, yes, I'm going to go through life viewing this as a test. And then you get to verse 13. No one who is tested, same Greek word, should say God is tempting me, same Greek word. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But everyone is tempted by their own cravings. Oh, snap. (laughs) They are lured away and enticed by them. (laughs) I've got cravings. You've got cravings. And that's what the devil tries to put his hook in. And once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. James is telling us the stakes are high. You see, if he had only told us those first few verses, he would have said, testing produces character. And then you could get the impression that this is optional extra credit. (laughs) And you could be like, well, I'm already saved. I'm going to heaven. Do I need all that character stuff? Nah. And James is like, oh, I forgot to tell you. The alternative to maturity is death. The alternative to producing endurance and character and maturity is the sin that produces death. There is no middle ground. Every square inch is being claimed or counterclaimed by God and by the enemy. Catch this, church. You can't live your Christian life on neutral. You can't live your Christian life just saying, well, I, I don't know if I'm serious about getting in a meal group or signing up for a course. And I, I, don't, I mean, I'm just, I just, I like coming on church. Very inspirational. That's great. But you're either maturing or something is being drawn out of you that's going to lead you towards death. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. I wish I could tell you that there was an option to, for cruise control in the Christian life, but there isn't. We're in a war zone, so you're either with the Lord or you're with the enemy. That's uncomfortable. But James wants us to know what's at stake when you go through hardship. It's either an opportunity for character or it's an opportunity for temptation. Matthew 4, verse 1, two chapters before Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, Matthew tells us this, as then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. Now you're like, so when you said God doesn't tempt us, that's a technicality, right? Like, no, for real, God doesn't tempt you, but he will take you into situations where you're tested. He will. This is the scene after Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism and a voice breaks out over the heavens and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The great announcement of affirmation and identity. Wouldn't it have been, wouldn't have been nice if after that moment Jesus launched his international ministry? Wouldn't it have been nice if Jesus was like, God, could I get that in writing? I'm going to slap that in the back of my book. 
It's a great endorsement. I know, it's what I would have done. But right after that, the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to lead you into the wilderness so the devil can tempt you. I don't like that. If I'm honest, I don't like that. Save us from the time of trial. Deliver us from the evil one. But I didn't think you were going to put me right away in the desert in the presence of the evil one. I thought deliver us from the evil one meant I don't see the devil around me. I thought deliver us from the evil meant that the devil doesn't touch my life. What if deliver us from the evil one means facing the devil in the desert? What if it means facing the devil in the desert? That's what Jesus had to do. And so the second thing I'd like to suggest to you from this text is that when we go through trials, because we will, the devil wants to destroy us, but God wants to purify us. There are two goals for you, two objectives. The bad news is that if you've lived long enough, you know that trouble will find you. It's why sometimes I joke with my worship leader, songwriter friends, like, I don't need any more songs written by 22-year-olds. Those are just going to be like, everything is awesome. <laughs> like, just give, 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 me, give, me some songs, give me some songs that have lasted the test of time a bit more. Give me some songs from people who've suffered. Because trouble will find you. That's not a spoken word curse. That's just the reality of life. But in those moments, when you go through trials, the devil wants to destroy you, but God wants to purify you. What's the difference? So much of it is in the way that we respond in the midst of it, isn't it? The difference between whether the devil has his way and tempts us and destroys us, leads us to death, and whether God actually purifies us and leads us to maturity is in a bit of our perspective and response. I know many of you in the room today, and without violating clergy confidentiality, <laughs> I know many of you in the room today who have or are walking through something really difficult. And one of the most beautiful things for me as a pastor is not those moments of saying to the person, oh, don't worry or be of good care. Actually, the most beautiful moments is hearing you <laughs> Say back to me, you know what, Glenn? I am trusting God no matter what. I, I'm leaning on Jesus. I don't understand any of this, but I'm leaning on Jesus in the midst of this. Those are the most beautiful moments of my week, <laughs> is being a witness to your faith and your faithfulness. Because in the end, faith is not this magic incantation that makes trouble go away. But faith is what allows us to endure and to say, no, the devil won't have his way in this, but God will. The devil won't destroy me through this, but God will purify me through this. That's the kind of faith that I watch emerge out of you. Last year, I went through my own 
version of this when I had the issues with my vocal cords. And I'll say that in late July, early August, when I discovered that there was a problem and a bleeding blood vessel and massive polyp on the side of the vocal cords, kind of gross, won't go into too much detail. I wanted people to pray with me who would pray prayers of faith. And you know this. When you're going through hardship, this is point number one. We can ask God to save us from the time of trial. So in that moment when you're going through it, you don't want someone to be like, well, Lord, whatever you have in mind for Glenn's voice. You know, like, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want that prayer. I want someone who's going to say, in Jesus' name. That's what I wanted. So we called the elders. I called my parents one day. I said, okay, mom and dad, I know you know how to pray. I want some intercessory, hardcore, tongue speaking. Like, I don't want cute. I don't want a prayer book prayer. No offense to the prayer book. I don't want an if it be thy will, O Lord. I wanted someone who's going to say, Jesus, do this. I wanted the kind of prayers like the friends of the paralytic who tore down a roof of a house to get him into Jesus. Like, that's what you wanted. And then if that prayer doesn't get answered, then we'll sort it out later. (laughs) And I had a false hope moment. After that prayer, I went in for a checkup, and the doctor said, I think it's getting better. And I was like, hallelujah, I prepared, like, testimonies for social media. (laughs) Preparing my new book, The Devil Stole My Voice, but God gave it back, you know. (laughs) And he said, I just think a couple more weeks of vocal rest, so I'm going through this thing of, like, total silence again, which my wife just loved, you know. I was the best listener I ever had been. The kids were getting away with everything, you know. And then I went back for a third appointment and he said, I think I was wrong. I don't think it's better. Because I I think you're actually going to need surgery. And I had heard some horror stories, friends of friends who had gotten this particular surgery, this exact one with laser and all that, and it singed their vocal cords and were never able to speak again, except for a whisper an hour a day. And I was laying on my couch like, oh God, no, 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 no. Save us from the time of trial, Lord. Deliver us from the evil one. And I, I remember sitting in the waiting room of the specialist up in Denver that I was being referred to, and I'm sitting in the waiting room, and my dad's with me, And I'm praying beforehand thinking, okay, Lord, anything you want to say before I go in, like I'm just listening. So, Lord, tell me, how's this appointment going to go? I'm serious. And all I could feel was, all I could sense was the face of Jesus like this. (laughs) It was tender. It was patient. But it was like, you're going to have to go through this. And the only phrase I could hear was, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Deliver us from the evil one sometimes looks like in the presence of my enemies you prepare a table. It doesn't mean we get out of enemies. You're facing the devil in the desert, but Jesus is there with a table. And the only phrase I could hear is, I'm with you. And sure enough, he's like, yep, you're going to need surgery, and this is what you're going to need, and all this stuff. And we ended up, you know the rest of the story, we ended up flying to a different clinic in in Boston. 
where the same surgeon who worked on Steven Tyler of Aerosmith's voice worked on mine. Glory to God. Walk this way. I was ready. I was ready to talk this way. But the lessons through all of that season, and thank you, COVID, I had to go through it alone. Holly couldn't come in. She couldn't wait in the waiting room. Every part of it was alone. She had to go back to the hotel, wait for me, all of this stuff. I got up early that morning, started praying the Psalms, started listening to worship music. It, it's, it's a small thing compared to what some of you are walking through, but it's a, it's a picture of those moments that we all go through where you feel alone and you feel like, okay, how do you purify me through this? Two weeks of total silence after that, a third week of only speaking five minutes an hour, a fourth week of only speaking 10 minutes an hour, and then six weeks later, able to preach again and all of that. And through all of it, I recognize, actually, there's a a lot of fear in my heart that God wanted to deal with. I've got a lot of fear and anxiety that I needed to turn over into trust. And I also realized there was a lot of anger in my life because I'm so used to being in control and taking the reins and making things happen. And I couldn't. I couldn't, couldn't be in work meetings in the same way, couldn't do this and couldn't do that. And in that time of trial, instead of the devil destroying me, it became God purifying me. Amen. It became God purifying me. That's not to say I've mastered the lessons. These are ongoing lessons, right? But when you walk through it and you trust that God's with you, those are the moments that you say, all right, well, if you're going to walk through it with me, then please purify me through it. Please teach me through it. And so the last part of this phrase that I want to focus on is near, kind of in the middle, but rescue us. But rescue us. When we go through trials, we can trust that God will deliver us from the devil's plans. Not only will God refine us or purify us, but he will actually deliver us from the enemy's plans. We will emerge with character. If we turn our life over to the Lord, we will emerge with character. That's Romans 5. The testing of our faith produces perseverance, endurance, character. Character produces hope. We know this. But it also means that, by the way, side note, you shouldn't say these things to other people. Like if you're doing okay and someone's going through stuff, don't say to them, well, God's going to bring something good out of it. Don't say that. Don't say that. That's for them to say after, in hindsight. But don't say that in the middle of it. When, you're, when someone's going through hell, don't say, that, well, I bet you God's going to bring something good out of it. Some people ask me, you know, when I was like right after the surgery and I couldn't speak, they're like, man, what is God downloading to you right now? I'm like, man, I don't live in a monastery. I have four kids in my home. I feel like I'm isolated from everybody and I can't talk. I don't know what he's downloading to me right now. Don't ask me that. God will deliver you from the devil's plans. But oftentimes that's the journey that we've got to take ourselves. To trust that. To trust that. Not to force it on someone else and say, where's the good? They they may not know. But in time, they might. And sometimes the way God delivers us from the devil's plans is not in the timeline that we would like. How do I know this? 
Because that's how it worked for Jesus. Jesus prayed this very prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Is it the only time where Jesus prayed something that the Father did not answer? He did not let that cup pass from him. He wouldn't. Jesus followed it with, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And this is why the Lord's Prayer is such a beautiful prayer. Because it puts us with a good father. And before we even make our requests for daily bread or forgiveness or deliverance from trials, we're also praying, your kingdom come and your will be done. As Jason preached several weeks ago, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And having framed it as a good father and having framed our hearts as, the, as a heart that says, your will, not mine. Then we can say, deliver us and trust that he will, even if it doesn't happen in the timeline that we would choose. But here's what we are promised. Here's what we are promised. Deliverance will come. Deliverance will come. Jesus goes through this time of testing and trial. He endures the suffering of the cross. He dies and is buried. But on the third day, the Father delivered him from the evil one. He did not abandon him to death. He rescued him and raised Jesus up from the dead. There is a reason why in the book of Acts, when they preach about the resurrection, they don't talk about it early on. They don't talk about it like Jesus is some sort of superhero who emerged and Superman breaking the chains despite his kryptonite weakened body. They don't talk about Jesus conquering death. In the earliest sermons about the resurrection, they say, and God raised Jesus from the dead. And what they're trying to make us notice is that Jesus fully died. Jesus fully went to the grave but God is faithful to deliver us from evil and God raised Jesus from the dead so when we pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one we can trust God to deliver us from the devil's plans we can trust that the worst thing will not be the last thing we can trust that even if what we think is unimaginably bad happens, God still gets the last word. And his last word, his last word is resurrection. It's resurrection. Here we are on the sixth Sunday of Easter, and we're marking through Easter season. The reason we do this is to remind our souls that if deliverance doesn't look the way we want it to look, it does not mean deliverance will not come in the end. Right. We look, the creed says, for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. This prayer did get answered for Jesus in the end. And this prayer for us will get answered. It will be answered. It's why the early Christians could suffer the way that they did and counted a joy to suffer for the name. Well, well, wait a minute. They didn't get saved from persecution or imprisonment. and They didn't get spared the time of trial that maybe they should have been spared. They didn't. 
But even what the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. And it resulted in the explosive growth of the early church. We heard the scripture read this morning from Genesis where Joseph begins to say it. You meant this for evil, but God turned it for good. We said how the same situation, the same situation could be the devil's temptation or God's testing. But I'm here to tell you that even what the devil means for evil, God will turn for good. He will deliver us. He will deliver us in the end. So as we get ready to come to the table of the Lord and the worship team comes, we're going to sing that song after we receive communion, but we're going to sing about that. We're going to sing about trusting in the Lord's plans, trusting in his deliverance, praying this way. And my heart for you is that you wouldn't stop praying this way. Lord, save us. And you wouldn't stop trusting that not only will God produce character through it, but that God will deliver us in the end. Amen? Did you bow your heads this morning? Jesus, we, we ask you to come and search our hearts today. Wherever we are, the suffering, the sorrow, the difficulty that we're facing, help us not to shrink back from you and turn away from what you're doing. Help us to lean into you. These are the very moments where we don't want to pray, but teach us to pray. Let this table that we're coming to be the table that you prepare for us in the presence of our enemies. Come Holy Spirit.